One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. It's the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Oh, my David, Kieran Murphy and Ken Early are all here. Hi, guys. Hey, how are you? Hey, uh, Pretty good, and we're all reeling from the latest Roberto Martinez versus somebody in Irish football row. Previously. I'm just an Irish person, really, more so. Roberto Martinez's anti-Irish crusade continues unabashed today. Previously, siding our players, but still very much anti-Irish. Siding our players, backing our players, and uh, empowering our players. But besides that, Murph, this guy is just totally anti-Irish. No, but the, he's previously taken Roy Keane's task over the lack of availability of James McCarthy for the Irish team. This time McCarthy did play, didn't play very well, was ripped apart by Eamon Dunphy on Game On and 2FM and Monday night, calling him a flop, terribly overrated, all these sort of things. And Martinez today again has jumped the defence of his midfielder and taken on Dunphy. Uh, that's quite a harsh comment, if you ask me, says Roberto Martinez of the comments that James McCarthy is a terrible flop, doesn't do anything and is overrated. <laughs> he says... He says, I think sometimes those comments are a distraction from the reality of having had bad results with their team. It's a shame, that. Uh, I'm not sure about that, actually. In what way? Well, Eamon Dunphy is not known for his uh, sort of cheerleading of the Irish team. No, he's not exactly Martin O'Neill's mouthpiece trying to deflect. And also, everybody (laughs) seems to think it was an amazing result. Yeah, and in fact, quite a few people who I've spoken to seem to think McCarthy played quite well, certainly in the second half of the game uh, Dunphy obviously doesn't share that view but I don't think he's he's um, necessarily looking for something to distract from the poor result I mean maybe Martinez is under the impression that he's a coach or something like Roy Keane uh, with the with the Irish team Mar- Martinez says it's a shame if there's any criticism it comes down to individuals it's disappointing when you get those comments because you're not going to get anyone in world football more committed and a better character than James McCarthy in world football so there you go now Roberto Martinez has said a lot of big things about James McCarthy in the most. He honestly loves James McCarthy. Yeah. It's good. It's good for McCarthy that he has a manager who um, sort of thinks of him so highly. I suppose. Although it would, I'm sure Martinez isn't the only person who must wish that sometimes McCarthy would be a little bit more dominant, just to back him up a little bit more. Often. Liam Brady last week made the point that he openly wondered whether. McCarthy was just shy, uh, as he seems to be, or really didn't actually have a passion to play for Ireland. I would be slightly concerned that if the passion shows any signs of wavering, you wouldn't imagine Roberto Martinez is going to be in his ear saying, no, James, you've got to keep going at international level. You've got to keep turning out for those guys. Is there, is there The point is, alienating the Everton manager hmm. is probably not a, a great... Mm. That idea really, at this time for yeah. Irish football given how many players there are yeah. over there can't really be a concern for Eamon Dunphy though 
I mean... Oh, no. No, I'm just talking about... If you're talking about the Keno remarks, then yes. But, I mean, if Eamon Dunphy says something about James McCarthy, it might have the impact of alienating Roberto Martinez and James McCarthy, but, I mean, that's just... That's that's the nature of the that's, beast, you know what I mean? Punditry. That's yeah. That is punditry. Uh, I mean, I, I think McCarthy, or rather Martinez, it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether he's alienated, uh, in a sense, because his interests are opposed to the interests of Martin O'Neill. Um, he's the club manager, and ideally, James McCarthy would spend all that time in between inter, in, uh, club matches when the international matches are on, just um, not playing international football. That would be the perfect situation for Martinez, who I know says what all club managers have to say, that, oh, I, I love seeing my players play international football. You know, he didn't love seeing Darren Gibson playing international football yeah. against Kazakhstan and being carried off with a snap cruise here. Of course, and my point was, uh, I probably should have articulated a little bit better, was that if a tide does start to turn against James McCarthy here, that Brad, he might Brady, actually Dunphy, quit maybe altogether. Other, yeah, well, he, he might be then of a mind to quit altogether, and we ultimately know that Roberto Martinez, of all club managers, given that he's already been... He's already had these arguments with O'Neill and with Keane publicly. What will be maybe not too disappointed yeah, to, well, uh, for his players? This to is stop what these guys. Him. Yeah, this is what these guys think of you, James. Yeah, um, but so, I know, you know that you you're the best in the world. James McCarthy should be thankful that he hasn't found himself in the sights of the most scathing pundit in English football right now, free from the old restrictions of being the face of Sky Sports Premier League coverage. Apparently, not shackled as tightly by the current bosses that he has in Qatar. <laughs> Richard Keyes has penned another blistering blog. Bloody right he has on, and you say in English football. I mean, maybe that's you know, maybe what we should be, we should be talking about world football, because in terms of global reach, Richard Keyes, at least according to Richard Keyes, is without equal. Uh, although I say that, but he hasn't provided any evidence of the reach of comparable pundits, such as I don't know Gary Neville or whatever. What he has done in the last. Uh, few minutes, Owen, uh, it's originally what we're going to talk, be talking about, but, but I think I should places, yeah. mention, is tweeted a, a, a world map uh, saying, countries in blue have visited richardajkeys.com. And uh, it turns out pretty much every country on the uh, face of the planet is shaded blue on this map, meaning that he's had visitors from uh, almost everywhere. Now, there are a couple of exceptions. Um, they are Chad, Central African Republic, Republic of Congo and Madagascar. Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Bhutan, Burundi, uh, Western Sahara, and then a full house of uh, the Guineas. Your Guinea, your Equatorial Guinea, and your Guinea-Bissau. So <laughs> Those guys in Guinea-Bissau, I mean, really, they've got to get their houses in order here. Mm. <laughs> How do they know about football if they're not following Richard Keyes' blog? I uh, Sp- Svalbard in Greenland, actually, I should mention as well. In yeah, the the Nordic- polar bears couldn't fire up the Wi-Fi for long enough to get onto richardajkeyes.com. <laughs> His message uh, does not uh, reach into the eternal polar twilight. <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> everywhere else, uh, when Richard Keyes... A lot of light that he could be shining uh, in Svalbard. If yeah. only they had the, they had the, the knowledge, the know-how. Well, when he, when he roars, the rest of the world uh, sits up and, uh, you know, pricks up its ears. And uh, right now, Richard Keyes is roaring about um, just journalists who throw around... Uh, well, people who throw around stupid comparisons. Duncan Edwards... Martin Edwards, more like, <laughs> he says. Uh, and this is, uh, he, he has a go at... Uh, Phil Jones. Well, first of all, he starts praising Wayne Rooney. Uh, for instance, uh, Rooney's better than... Uh, Van Hal, uh, uh, Van Hal seems to have got the message. Rooney's better than Van Persie and Falcao, better than anything else they've got at Old Trafford, so play him up top. 
The same applies to England. He's better than Kane, Walcott, Lambert, Austin, Defoe, or any other English forward you care to mention. He's England's best player. So put him where he's at, at his most dangerous, make a team around him. It's not rocket science. He says, uh, um, back to Rooney, yes, he can play in midfield, right or left. He can sit at the base of a diamond or play off two front men. He could probably also play at centre-back if required. Wait a minute. Who else could do that? Oh, yes. Duncan Edwards. I never saw Edwards play, but Sir Bobby Charlton has time and again told me, that's how he's written it, he was the best player he'd ever seen. Great shot. Terrific touch. Huge thighs. Could plow through anything. Could head a ball, tackle, score goals. Remind you of anyone? How laughable. The implication there, I think, is, is actually Wayne Rooney. Yeah. How laughable, then. That when Fergie signed Phil Jones from Blackburn, he likened Jones to the late great Busby Babe Edwards. Duncan Edwards? More like Martin Edwards. I've played with Martin. Sorry to mention this if you're reading, Martin. <laughs> and he was hopeless. Jones is obviously better than that. But Duncan Edwards? The comparison is an insult. It's just it. Phil Jones lands somewhere in the middle of the Martin Edwards to Duncan Edwards spectrum. Yeah. As does as nearly everyone else in, on the planet, I would have thought. Yeah. The big thighs. Huge what, thighs. Hu- huge thighs was... If you had huge thighs in the 1950s mm. in, in the UK, you, you were, were halfway towards being a professional footballer. You're bloody, bloody right you were, on because... Uh, didn't the rationing only end in 1955 or something? <laughs> there was a lot of, of skinny-tied men making their way in the English leagues uh, around that time. Duncan Edwards had all his opponents beaten as soon as he stepped on the field with mm. those ridiculously big thighs. Richard, yeah, Keyes, is, Richard Keyes is just is brilliant. I'm he just is. looking at this map. It's, just, it's one of the funniest things I've seen. On well, the, he, he, adds, he adds to the map, actually. Um, after he's tweeted the map, he's, which he's obviously rightly proud of, Mm-hmm. Um, he then tweets, uh, "Thank you for all the interest. Keep following, and I'll keep telling you the truth." <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, dispenser of uh, truth. Well, we're going to we're going to tell you the truth about Leinster versus Bath in the Champions League quarterfinal. Shane Horgan and Jerry Thorney, the truth tellers, in that one in just a little while. Justin Gatlin, Ken, is a man who hasn't told the truth very often in in his life when it comes to performance enhancing drugs. He's taken them, but hasn't always been too free uh, too freely admitting to doing that. He's been the reason we're talking about him today, you'll probably read about this over the last few days, he's been signed up by Nike, who seemed happy enough to sponsor this guy, despite the fact that he's been banned for, he eventually was banned for four years for a second doping offence. And I always think, the whole thing of, oh, ban every drugs cheat for life, as soon as he's a test positive or whatever way it happens these days, ban for life. I can see the logic for that, but there are certain grey areas and it does seem a little bit unfair to me that that. It, a guy who might do it once or there might be some cloud around it gets the same ban as a serial cheater who, should, who shouldn't be in the sport. A guy like Justin Gatlin does it once, gets banned, does it again. I mean, surely he should be gone. Anyway, for between the jigs and the rails, he's there. Uh, he's back now after being around for being gone for four years. He was uh, competing in the Olympics in 2012. He'll be one of the favourites for a medal, if not the gold medal, in 2016. And Nike are jumping on board. We're going to talk to Michael Calvin about this at The Independent. He's been writing about it. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit later on. But first up, it's one for the pea bezzers out there. That's right, you're a real Irishman. You get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there? I got the potatoes yeah. and the puccine. Huh? And the puccine. Oh, yeah, there you are. Bone and bread, yeah, in uh, County Meath, a place called Navin. <laughs> nice. 
Hey ho, uh, it's Pierce Brothers Never Good Shout Out Time, and boy, do we have a long and reasonably boring email for you this week, old. Oh, go on. Uh, it's from Gary Doran, one of the Wexford Dorans. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was at the Hong Kong Sevens tournament last week, and he just couldn't contain his excitement. He picked up his pen, virtual pen, and uh, penned us this letter, slash email. Hey, guys. I've been meaning to send you a P-Bezzo for a long time now, and finally, at the Hong Kong Sevens on Saturday, I feel I've gotten a good enough snap worthy of a P-Bezzo. We have a good selection of nationalities represented in the photograph with Swedish, French, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, Russian, and, of course, Irish. I'm currently living and working in Shenzhen, China, and a group of over 30 of us, including my girlfriend, Lynn. Seems like a bit of a gratuitous mention of his girlfriend there. Okay, we get it. A real ladies' man, Gary. <laughs> uh, headed to HK for the Sevens. HK. Oh, this guy knows his. Knows he's he's done some travelling, yeah. He's Underneath some traveling. my banana suit, I'm of course wearing my authentic, unlike those Canadian frauds, second captain's t shirt, which I'm sure you can tell from the white sleeve. Huge fan of the podcast. I do admit, though, that when I first started listening to it, I thought that American Murph referred to Kieran Murphy when talking about American sport, <laughs> and Brian was just some guy being interviewed. Come on. I also see real pleasure in Ken's rating system, and I look forward to the next match. I don't think I'm on my own when I say that I can't wait till he awards an 8 to a player. As that 8, I'm sure, will have been earned. Well, fair play to you if you've read all that. A sporting <laughs> epic... <laughs> He's refreshingly honest about the whole thing. And I did take out a paragraph. Uh, a sporting epic fail story below if you're still going. Uh, I didn't think it was that funny, but my friends got a great laugh out of it. Last year, I was involved with the Wexford Senior Hurling setup at the start of the year. Bit of a humble brag. This uh, meant I was also in the team's WhatsApp group. About two weeks after I was dropped off the panel, disappointing but expected, I was in my friend's house. They were asking me when I was dropped off the panel, was I also removed from the WhatsApp group? And I said, no, 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 I'm still part of the WhatsApp group. I think, although the guys have been pretty quiet quiet (laughs) recently. So I checked the group to see you have been removed from this group. (laughs) Hashtag sad face. All the best, Gary. So uh, (laughs) they just haven't really had much to say since I left the team. I actually actually thought that was a pretty good story. And I'm being hard on him here and I don't know why. So... Let's that's stop the fussing and the feuding and give that man a Pierce Brosnan Emigrant shout out t-shirt. That's I, sad, isn't it? That's sad. To, you know, whatever, all the all the team banter, all the sort of yes. chat and so on, and then it just all ends with that one message, you have been removed from the group. <laughs> well, this is Henry Sheffern. Yeah, Henry Sheffern talked about this. It was the only time he got emotional around his retirement. He said yeah. when he had to WhatsApp the lads before going into the hotel to announce, uh, to announce his retirement in his press conference, he made the point that over the last few months, this has been the he he's felt sad when JJ Delaney is removed from the mm. WhatsApp group. Uh, I think one of the players actually, one of his teammates, Richie Hogan, tweet, Richie Hogan, Hogan tweeted yeah. a, a screen grab uh. of his own, uh, you know, phone when the so the message reads, "The king has left," and the then group. and uh, and then there's like a little emoji of like just a little emoji face crying. Uh, I mean, it was it was actually it was actually and, pretty. And is Shefflin like listed as the king in the group? Yeah. So that's his name on WhatsApp, the king. That's his, that's what he that's the name on his profile. <laughs> oh well, here it doesn't sound right, does it? Uh, yeah, Henry Shefflin, one hundred percent. Richie Hogan has lied to the country. This is outrageous. There's no way Henry Shefflin no, calls himself the king amongst his Leinster is it amongst his Leinster amongst his Kilkenny teammates? You don't think so? I don't. Come on, no, not a chance. King Henry, bow down to the king. I. I, I, I'm actually a member of a WhatsApp group that descended into such stupidity that 
uh, someone's uh, a friend of mine's girlfriend joined the group and then half an hour later it just came up <laughs> Pauline has left the group and it's by a mile the funniest thing that has ever been said on that WhatsApp uh, I, yeah. I, I do find it sort of a bit annoying though when uh, people just start sending messages willy nilly I'm kind of like shut up I don't want to hear from you I had to then turn off notifications which means that you when something actually important does arrive you don't know about it until whenever you look at your phone much later you know, that, you know those groups when people are just meh, 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 oh, tra- talking away? And you don't want to leave, but you're, yeah. tra- you're trapped. Yeah. Oh. That happens in real life, though, Ken. This is just a transplanted in real life, you can, always, you can just go into you know, your own mind palace or whatever. <laughs> Put his earphones in like he does in the pub. Yeah. If you are on any WhatsApp groups again, please send him some inane chatter. Ideally, send him, no, send him a picture of your cute kids. Ken loves <laughs> people putting those sort of things on social media. Now, Leinster against Bath is on this Saturday Champions Cup quarterfinal. Jerry Thornley and Shane Horgan are ready to chat. Jerry, how are you? Very good, thank you. And you? Uh, very good. Interested in Alan Quinlan's piece this week. Mm. He was quite negative about Leinster coming mm. into the quarterfinal. But the, the key point I wanted to bring to you, uh, I'll sort of uh, condense the quotes here. Leinster are a team that's lost its identity. Michael Cech's teams were hard and edgy. Joe Schmidt's teams were fluent and slick. What do you think of when you think of Matt O'Connor's Leinster? What's their identity? What do they stand for? What, do they, what way do they want to play? It's hard to pick anything out. What do you think? And it's very hard to criticise that remark as well. I disagree with it fundamentally. When you read it, you went, yeah, that's true. You know, Czech, Leinster did have a very kind of distinctive feel and we knew what they were about. They kind of changed under Czech because when they initially arrived, you know, they went away to Toulouse in the quarterfinals and Shane was part of that team that had that stunning win. And I think the semi-final defeat to Munster was a little bit of an eye-opener for Cheka. Um, David Knox left and Michael, Mike Brewer came in. And, he, his, and, and with that, the influence changed in the team and they became much more resilient, resourceful and came back and became the dominant for, and laid great foundations for Joe Schmidt to build on. And we all know what that team became. It became a very fluent, fluid style of rugby and very efficient and very effective. And, and they played to their strengths, which was a magnificent backline as well. And they scored wonderful tries and, and two fantastic Heineken Cup victories. Um, and it's hard to, in the last two years, there have been glimpses of what this team might be capable of. I thought when they won the Pro 12 final last year, in the manner they won it, with a very efficient defensive performance in Glasgow's faces, um, and then attacking very cleverly off the turnovers, and running in four tries to nil with a couple of nice strike moves. It was almost like going a little bit back to the Joe Schmidt era, and it was just very all-round efficient this season. They've started to leak, defense, leak tries, they've become much more porous, um, and the performance has been much more hit and miss, and there has been no distinctive style, you'd have to say, under this regime. Um, and it is a little bit of... I would say that being an ex-Munster player, that was probably easier for Alan Quinn to write about Leinster than it would be about Munster. Yeah, in what sense, it's harder to criticise yeah. your former team. Yeah, absolutely. Shane, what do you think? No identity with Leinster this year? I think the concern for Leinster and Leinster supporters is that the, the divide or the split between the first 15, your top-ranked players... And what we've seen as your your second rank players has broadened, and that was an issue for Leinster going back a long time. Um, the real change, I think, or one of the real catalysts for change for the Leinster team was a generation of young players who took a huge amount of responsibility on themselves. Now we're lucky that they were a generation of magnificent players. You had Sexton there, you had Sean O'Brien. Um, Keane Healy had a full generation of players that were leaders from day one 
and they were pushing to be in the team the first 15 um, they saw themselves as good enough in that first 15 and um, they probably didn't even rate the players that were in the first 15 at the time it was a really good mindset and their con- contribution was huge I think what you have now is a group of players that were sort of carried along by them and by the senior players that existed previously to that um, and they are not fulfilling the leadership roles they're not stepping up and helping out Matt O'Connor now from all reports and you know everyone's interaction with Matt O'Connor seems to be he's a really nice guy and I think a number of the players rate him uh, technically as well but I don't think he's empowered uh, junior players enough I don't think he's been demanding enough of them to step up like the the current form in in the Pro 12 is appalling for Leinster it's just unacceptable and if you look at when when Leinster have had success it's when Yes, they may have lost a few of their players to international, but the, the whole machine has kept on rolling, and there was there was a very you know little difference in continuity between the way they were playing when their internationals were there and when they're not, and that's not the case at the moment. Jerry, no leadership coming from the younger players, not being empowered. Well, it certainly there was always going to be a void when you think of it like that. But that that when they're at their pump. Uh, Johnny Sexton there, Easton say were there. Now you can add Brian O'Driscoll's retired, um, Leo Cullen's retired. And to all intents and purposes, Gordon Darcy and Shane Jennings are not regular starters anymore this season. That's half a dozen of absolute out-and-out leadership players. What and Shane's talking about there, though, to me, sounds more like an attitudinal issue as opposed to the talent of the guys coming through. It's a mindset that we've got to think we're better than the internationals who are coming back and we've got to drive this forward. Yeah, and it doesn't seem to be there when you compare the Six Nations window form this season compared with the last five or six seasons. This has been by some distance the worst one win in five. I mean, a defeated home to the Dragons was a classic illustration of that, the way they lost away, the way they're allowing teams back into the game or the way they're allowing sides to pull clear like Glasgow did. The only redeeming feature is that in the second half last week they produced such fluent rugby and came back with 27 unanswered points of their own. I would hate to think where they'd be at this week if they hadn't done that much. Is there a danger, Shane, of assuming that these problems all go away with all the Irish internationals coming back, particularly given how well those most of those players are playing? Well, greater than that, I think there's two issues. There's a one... Uh, that you rightly mentioned there, everything will be fine when the international players come back. And I can tell you from first-hand experience, that's not always the case. That was that that was mentioned many times when in the early years in Leinster when I was playing for Ireland and there was a group of us all playing, and Ireland and Leinster's performances um, during the Six Nations and other times weren't up to the standard. But it was all sort of brushed away and it was going to be fine when the internationals come back. And it's not the case. There has to be a continuity performance. There has to be a you know, there will be a divide in the camp. There won't even be a the, the, the players won't um, integrate as well if this artificial divide uh, occurs. And that wasn't the case for a long time with, with Leinster. I'm not saying it's the case at the moment, personality-wise, but it certainly is performance-wise. The other thing that I think that there's almost a holding pattern waiting for Sexton to come back. And as a result, we may cost them a season because there's this idea when Sexton comes back, everything's going to be fine, all will be forgiven, you know, he'll control everything, get the game playing and get the skill, skill level up. And it's too much to expect for Sexton and it's too easy to fall into that, uh, that uh, idea that one man's going to fix all the problems or, as you mentioned, Owen, these internationals are going to come back and fix all the problems because it's not. It's about culture and it's about an overarching um, a method of play and and standard of performance and, and it just has been too inconsistent this year with Leinster. I'd have to say I have a small bit of sympathy for Matt O'Connor in the context of this match. I mean, if you think about this in the context of other sports, 
it's absolutely bizarre that you're playing your biggest match of the season and you haven't had your team together for a couple of months. You don't know how they're playing. They're all used to different systems. It's, it's just a quirk and other coaches face the same issue, but it must be tricky. No, I mean, no Leinster coach in history has been dealt a more difficult hand just by the logistics of the season and the draw. I mean, you are the bulk supplier to a national team, more so than any other team in Europe, arguably. Certainly that's still standing in the European Cup. And for the first time ever, the quarterfinal was, is within two weeks of the Six Nations finale. With the semifinals come another two weeks later, and then the final two weeks later, because Bruce Craig and the PRL and the League Nationale de Rugby all wanted their sacred own tournaments to run through May unfettered and uninterrupted by what should be the blue ribbon of the tournament. So they're denigrating the tournament that they're trying to revive in their new format by rushing it off with this indecent haste in six weeks. The net effect is that the bulk suppliers to the Irish team effectively have to play eight World Cup finals or eight big, huge games in an 11-week period. It's almost impossible. I don't see how Leinster can win this. And then on top of which, they get Toulon away in the semi-finals. But all they, that's, a, that's another day's work. They, they're, they're faced with what they're faced with this yeah. week. Sean O'Brien comes back in. Jamie Heasel comes back in. Rob Carney, Devin Toner, maybe Mike Ross. Um, for their first games with Leinster in a couple of months or longer. And Sean O'Brien's only his second game of the season. I mean, it's remarkable to think it's only his second game of the season for Leinster. I would still think that despite the lack of leadership or the loss of the leadership cartel that we mentioned earlier that the likes of Jamie Heaslip, Sean O'Brien, Devon Toner, Mike Ross, Keane Healy, Rob Carney, these players, Owen Redden and Isaac Boss. I mean, Leinster played 18 knockout matches in the last four seasons. Up until Toulon in the last two seasons, no team in Europe has had anything like the experience in their DNA of playing knockout cup rugby. Leinster have won 15 of those 18 matches. What I'm trying to say is that the likes of Jamie Heaslip, Sean O'Brien, Rob Carney, these players, know how to pick up the cudgel this week. They know what's required of them. I would have thought that the slipping off of one-off tackles and allowing offloads that they did against Glasgow last week, given Bath are such a, a good offensive side, would be an alarming wake-up call for them, particularly if they then go back in the video and look at what Bath did away to Toulouse in the, in the penultimate round of the, of the knockout stages, of the pool stages, when they had almost had a bonus point by the half-hour mark. It was just mm. Joseph and, Cole and Watson just tore that Toulouse defence to shreds. Toulouse weren't expecting because most teams don't come to Toulouse and play like that. They play within a shell and just try and get out of there with a bonus point or whatever. You would have thought Leinster would be four one because this bad team, uh, they're blessed with outstanding one on one runners. They will expose any slip up tackles like Leinster made last week. And what's more, it's something of a free shot for them. You know, they lost their first two matches. They weren't expected to progress. Their priority is getting a home semi final in the Premiership. Mike Ford has been very, very bullish this week, and Chipper talking them up. They're going to have a go, and and Leinster, I would imagine. That would have been a wake-up call for them. They'd bring way more intensity to the defence. Or if they don't, they're out. Bath, are, certainly the English press, are framing this around the Six Nations and some revenge for the mm. England players there, Shane, which is, uh, I, I think I've been spoken to you before, maybe that's not the best idea to try to rely on that for motivation. But from a tactical and technical point of view, is there a chance that Bath would have learned quite a lot? Those key players, particularly George Ford, who's got to be learning every game, he's so young, would have learned a certain amount from playing against Ireland that they will be able to exploit against Leinster? Yeah, well, I think you can frame it in the context of Six Nations to some degree because of both, both teams having been contributors or large contributors to uh, their respective uh, national sides, both sides not having um, brilliant form while they had lost those top-line players and now coming back with all their top-line players, the majority of the top-line players ready to go. So from that um, perspective, it is quite interesting to see how they'll integrate back in and how they'll perform um, I think Leinster have, have the upper hand with that regard, they're more used to doing it, the internationals they have are more experienced uh, they can transition from Six Nations to um, European Cup and we've seen that already, they've done it um, so 
you're right in saying that they will that the bad team will have learned something from the Irish experience uh, the players who were there in the Six Nations um, I think they'll recognise that there are the elements of the game that they need to get right that's discipline for one certainly let England down in a huge way and they need to get their kicking game right and if they're coming to the the Aviva for a shootout, I think um, that'll be a really interesting game because um, I I do think George Ford uh, in George Ford Bath have a significantly better ten than Leinster have, um, but I think uh, Leinster have when they've had their top team together have shown uh, the opportunity they've shown that they can move the ball across the back line well if they're going for a shootout I, I'd fancy Leinster actually there's nothing to suggest that they won't back up their words here Jerry. is there certainly England they they provided the spark for England to become the great entertainers of world rugby for the last number of weeks so presumably the, their club team is going to do the same yeah and I think you've hit a, I think you've hit on a valid point Jonathan Joseph did very little in that Aviva match um, Anthony Watson played well in, in patches and the jury's out as well you know, how well he did. Certainly George Ford didn't have his best game. Dave Apple was anonymous. All of those players' personal pride will have a point to prove this weekend. I think that's a very valid point. Um, and I agree with Shane that Ford is a better out-half than Jimmy Gopard all around, and he's a really comfortable running out-half. And there will be something very... They will be on a high after the rugby they played in the Six Nations, particularly culminating in that performance against France. And there are very few... Um, midfielders around with the footwork that Joseph brings to occasion and it means he can beat a player one-on-one and it creates so many more opportunities for those around him and Burgess is a very good offloader as well I mean Kyle Eastman has played superb rugby this season but he might miss out by the looks of things and Burgess will be there for his offloading so they're going to provide lots and lots of threats and I would be amazed the forecast is reasonably good if they don't have a go but you know they're not just about a back line that would, that would have been the bath way for years but they've developed a very good pack over the last couple of years Leo Cullen was describing their scrum as amongst the very best in Europe and they're, they basically have they're a little bit tight a um, little bit shorter tight head this, this week particularly they do have lots of cover in lots of different positions they have a lot of power plays and they get their rumblers going and then identify which pods to hit through forward he times is when he releases backs very well and you know you look at Ireland, the way they defended against England, they were very comfortable defending against England because they, they cleared on their homework in the training ground. This Saturday is going to tell us so much about this Leinster organisation. Are they still, do they still have a big game mentality? Is there a leadership core there to take up the cudgel when the others have been away? And how good a coaching ticket, how well prepared will they be for what path will provide? I mean, it's going to be quite season-defining. If they lose... Unfortunately for Matt O'Connor, he's going to cop a lot of the flack. If they win, a lot of the credit, as Quinny said, is probably going to go to the senior players, which is a little bit unfair on him. But they do need to win to redeem their season because if they suddenly go out of Europe next this weekend, even though they're the last Pro 12 team standing in it and they're outside the playoffs in the Pro 12, it doesn't look like a very good season by Leinster's own high standards. Yeah, and it does seem that any confidence we do have, Shane, is based more on the what the team has done in the past and what the international players have done in recent weeks, almost more on reputation than anything that Leinster as a team have been doing for the last few months? No, I think we're basing on the players. And Jerry's named off a ream of players there who are all fantastic leaders. But more than that even, they're all fantastic players. Mm. So if you go down through the team sheets, and, and I think if you analyse player for player, I think Leinster are, have the better players by quite a degree. Um, and I would say that there's very few positions that um, the Bath that you'd be worried that Bath have a huge advantage in. We, you've also got Leinster, are a team that have have undoubted history in the event, but also they've got winners right across the team. So 
there's no doubt, and they're playing at home, so there's no doubt that they have the players to deliver, they have home field advantage, they have experience. There's no reason that they shouldn't beat this bad team. So if they don't combine, if they don't get the mo- if if Malcon doesn't manage to get the most out of his players this weekend, and and they don't, uh, they can't tactically break down Bath, um, or they can't uh, collectively get together to um, score tries against this bad team and get the defensive system right. Then there will be questions asked, and there'll have to be questions asked. Sounds like you think they will do it, though. They will win. I do. I just think they're far. They're far too many good players uh, not to beat Bath at home, and I think. Uh, it's, if you're looking at these players there's so many players that have been so successful for so many years coming off the back of a Six Nations and I know the Six Nations is emotionally and physically tiring but as Jerry mentioned there, there are a number of players who haven't had that many game time. And the ones that have will be absolutely delighted to be going into a big game, a big European Cup game because the difficulty is not with um, hiding, hiding, sorry, as it was Heineken Cup uh, semi-finals or quarter-finals and now European uh, Champions Cup quarter-finals, semi-finals and finals it's the other games that are more difficult or you have one eye on the big games um, so they'll be motivated um, and I think the fact that they're all back together, they're not missing many and I'd be concerned if they were, there was a huge amount of players missing and there'd have to be an integration in, in between the two squads but there will have to be if Leinster are to win the Heineken Cup because there will be injuries, uh, that doesn't look to be the case and as a result they have enough good players to beat this bad team Yeah, I don't think supporters have even recovered from the Six Nations, I'm just, I, I, can, I can only stand a 6-3 grueler this weekend Jerry. I don't, I don't know if I can manage another, another shootout but what do you think prediction wise? I, I think if Leinster to win a might actually be quite grueling. I don't think they can be too flamboyant. I'm not too sure about the Ian Madigan Ben Teo midfield. That's what they go for, for example, and putting width on the game and pace in the game. Even though I think they've got an excellent back three potentially, and and you know they all provide a little bit of a different dynamic, and they're all in good form. But I think if they're going to do it, it it'll be a key. Might well be the scrums in the December match at the Stoop. Jerome Garces was the referee that when they played Harlequins. And he penalised Leinster four times and Quinns once at scrum time. And that'd be a little bit of a caveat there, a little bit of concern. But if their scrum is strong um, and doesn't give up much to, in terms of penalties to Harlequins, I think in a little bit of a growing game with lots of one-off running from the likes of Healy and Cronin and O'Brien and Heasem and just kind of a bit of, a, bit of an arm wrestle and just kind of suffocate Bath to a little bit of a degree, I think they'll get there. I think ultimately as well as the experience that I've mentioned before, maybe they'll just want a little bit more and home advantage just might count for something too. Sounds good. Jerry, Shane, enjoy the game. That's, sorry, Shane, just wanted to come back in there. Yeah, sorry, that's so sort of kind of disappointing that that's what we're thinking about with a uh, Leinster-Bath game uh, at home in the Aviva that, you know, it's going to be an arm wrestle. It really shouldn't be. It should be. A, it should be a position. You look at the players that Leinster have that in, in that team, and it shouldn't be an arm wrestle at all. It should be uh, deconstructing a bad team that's capable of being deconstructive. And I think that the fact that we're even having this conversation or this debate, mm-hmm. and this is this is what we're reduced to, is is, is it's, it's it's very disappointing from a Leinster perspective. Yeah, it could be more heated next week if, if things don't go to plan. Shane, Jerry, thanks a million. Cheers. Modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears. Psychologists, Clyde Woodruff, statisticians, dietitians, and as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us. Hmm, I'm not sure if I'm the only one here, Murphy. Senses. There's an unease around Lenser at the moment, and there may be. There's a batch of mass criticism ready to be unleashed mm. on Matt O'Connor if they mm. lose this weekend. If they win it. Trundles on a little bit, and, and maybe you thank can thank God for Sean O'Brien, Jamie Heaslip, and uh, 
uh, all of our returning Irish person. heroes, which is kind of unfortunate for Matt O'Connor. The but. idea of playing uh, this holding game that Shane talked about for a season almost, yeah. the sections on the way back, everything's going to be okay next year. And not that Lens are explicitly doing that, but Shane gets a sense that they're, they're, there's a bit of that about it at the moment. The danger of that is that whatever about losing a season, you could actually lose momentum and you can lose your status in European rugby quite easily. By the time Sexton comes back, it'll have been a couple of years since Leinster had any sort of European success. Now, we're assuming the worst here, that they're not going to get, get through or they're not going to go and win in Europe. But if that does come to pass, the Sexton factor is somewhat nullified if Leinster aren't viewed um, by other by other top teams mm. as a side to really worry about. Yeah, well, certainly if there was another year to go before Sexton came back, I think that would be a really, that's a live threat. I mean, I think if they lose this weekend and if they don't get through to the Pro 12 playoffs, that's certainly a very bad season. I don't know that you lose your status completely on the back of that, but... I just mean you lose your ability to, and maybe they already have, lost their ability to scare other teams and yeah. to make them think differently about how they're going to approach things. Yeah. If you think about a couple of years ago when all the top players were still there and Joe Schmidt was there, you got the sense that no matter who they were playing against, Claremont, these kind of sides... They were, they were thinking yeah. twice when they're coming up against Leinster, which probably won't be the case next year, even with Johnny Sexton. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think. But I mean, that that's it, really. You know, they, at the time when you were talking about it, they had won three Heineken Cups in the space of four years. I think it's only natural that the aura that you carry around at that stage is going to be different to a team that hasn't won a Heineken Cup in three years. But I do actually think that, um, and Shane was talking about it there from an organizational point of view. Certainly, I think from the Leinster supporters that uh, that you would meet, that, that that you would speak to, there's certainly that kind of idea around that, well, this season's bad, but Johnny's going to be back next year and yeah. everything's going to be absolutely fine. I mean, and you're, anytime you, you mention what Leinster have lost, it's, it wasn't just Johnny Sexton, it was Brian Driscoll, all, you know, all the names that, that are always trotted out. So to think that Johnny Sexton can come back and replace all of those, not just Johnny Sexton 2013 version. <laughs> You're asking a lot on, the, on, yeah, if on we just, one guy. I, th- I think they just take the Johnny Sexton 2013 version. Mm. Uh, that, that, that'd that be plenty for to be going on with. Ken, the football podcast is already out. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I'm, walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What have you done? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. I'm down to one field, and we'll see them. What are you doing down here? You're showing me, man. Greed, Owen. Greed is good. Is uh, is one way of looking at it. Another way is that it's among the deadly sins. I think, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not sure. Avarice, that's greed. Avarice, that's greed. Avarice, like wanting stuff too much. Gluttony, kind of a great greed involved greed. in gluttony. Certainly, is avarice a, is avarice a deadly sin? I'm not even sure. No, um, I'm. Uh, I've been cut loose from my moral moorings. Though, and I've no no idea. I mean, Raheem Sterling is is the player that we're going to be talking about. He's caused a lot of trouble. Though, and he's kicked up a hell of a fuss. Brendan Rodgers is smacked down on him uh, in no uncertain terms. Uh, just in the last few minutes, actually. Three. Yeah, he's done his uh, press conference today. Um, says they're not going to sell him. Um, they're not going to sell him this year. Uh, he's got two years left on his contract. You know, once the season's over, uh, so he says they're not going to sell this guy. That the interview, the twenty-seven minute interview he did with the BBC was uh, done without permission. He learned we all make mistakes in life, especially when you're young. Says uh, Brendan Rogers, uh, and he assures Sterling that if his ambition is to win trophies, 
that's aligned with what we do here. It's not what we do here as such <laughs> in recent times, but it is aligned. They did win the League Cup a couple of years ago. It wasn't enough to save the then manager, Kenny Leash, but it is aligned with uh, their... their uh, he wants to win trophies. We want to win trophies. Mm-hmm. So there's, yeah. a, there's a consonance there. Yeah. There's a sort of a synergy. We had a good chat with Richie Sadler about that. Yes, Karen? Sorry, uh, just a uh, Seven Deadly Sins update on, if you'd like me to inform the listeners. Mm. You've got your lust there, yeah. your gluttony, your greeds. Your greed, greed is one, greed is one. Greed, your greed, yeah, greed's there. Sloth, rat, envy, and, and of course your prides of this world. Pride. So there you're saying. Pride's a funny one, isn't it? I mean, pride, a deadly sin, really? It's not deadly. I mean, a certain amount of pride I would have thought is necessary to... Uh, Get up out of bed in the morning. Yeah. You know? You know to, to, well, certainly to have a shower before you leave the house. Pride. <laughs> but wasn't pride always the downfall of some of the great Shakespearean characters, no? Oh, yeah. You're, you're Othello's of you're, this world. Well, you're Othello's... <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't your Othello's. Uh, he was more a case of, uh, of paranoia, so overweening suspicion fed by the... Um, the evil, yeah, it was uh, more about envy, actually, if, if, if yeah. any of those seven deadly sins. Yeah, jealousy. Jealousy, that was the one. That's the one with the tello. I don't know if it's a deadly sin. Pride. Do you want to hear about the historical sins? Not particularly. Okay, go on, yeah. Well, vainglory. You know, vanity. Vainglory, what's that? Yeah. Pride. Yeah. Vanity, yeah. Thinking you're and great. Thinking you're a great lad. Acedia. A-C-E-D-I-A. It's the neglect to take care of something that one should do. Okay. <sighs> If you can. And that's not a deadly sin, though, just merely a historic. That's a historical sin. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Nike have had, mm, they've changed their mind over the years about various athletes. And another one of those is Justin Gatlin dropped a number of years ago after one of his two drugs busts. Uh, This time he is a performance enhancing drugs, I should probably mention in a sporting context there. This time he's back on board with Nike, who seemed happy enough to support him in his quest to become Olympic champion in 2016. Michael Calvin has been writing about this for The Independent and joins us now. Michael, good to talk to you again. It's a pleasure. We, what's interesting that the the furore of this was like like any of these things is is dying down now, and people will ultimately probably well forget about it up until the point that Justin Gatlin goes and wins a gold medal. Uh, I, I would imagine at the Olympics. But can I ask you what do you think this says about the public, how the public views doping in sport? Because Nike. Uh, you know they're not going to take any. They they don't have a moral compass. They're judging these cases on what the public are going to think about their associations with these athletes. And it seems that they've decided that um, an association with a convicted drugs cheat like Gatlin is is fine. Yeah, we're almost in that situation where it's deemed to be cool to cheat, aren't we? Um, people will always go out and spend their you know fifty pounds or sixty euros on a pair of fluorescent trainers um, just because that's in with the sort of uh, the zeitgeist of the moment that they want to get out and run and um, purge their soul and, uh, and and maybe do something good with their body. I don't Nike, you know, as you said, are a, a hard-edged, hard-nosed business corporation. Their financial plans speak of revenue for this financial year uh, in the region of $30 billion. So it's not a uh, bring and buy sale, is it? Um, it's a very, very uh, well-marketed company. And I do think they... they It's, it's a sort of a, a contradiction in terms, in many ways. They sell the, the romance of exercise. They sell the sexiness of fitness but they're prepared to take the risk of contaminating it 
with uh, association with someone who is probably one of the most um, notorious um, drug cheats simply because he's come back and he's come back without any real sense of remorse. Um, you know, to give the listeners some idea of, you know, his background, here's someone who won the great fabled title, the Olympic 100 metres title in 2004, despite having been uh, tested positive for amphetamines in 2001. Mm. Uh, he then uh, is uh, he's done again for a, for a positive test for excessive testosterone in 2006 and comes back from that after a lot of wrangling uh, to compete again. Frankly, it's got a stretch credibility uh, that someone like that is accepted back into into a sport like athletics, and that does pose much wider, much more disturbing questions about that sport. The question, though, has to be: I mean, I I uh, saw Justin Gatlin uh, running in the hundred meters final in London in 2012. If if he's good enough for the United States Olympic Committee, if he's good enough for the IOC, if he's there running alongside Usain Bolt in the in the uh, showpiece event of the sport. Why should Nike turn up their nose at, at being associated with him? Uh, well, if they want to do their customer research, he was booed in London, wasn't he? Um, a, uh, a, a sort of a barbed comment that was only uh, shared with uh, our esteemed Chancellor of the Exchequer um, during those London Olympic Games. Um, Athletics has got a fundamental problem. It's not the only sport with an endemic problem. You know, you look at cycling, you hear the whispers about tennis and and football. But athletics is almost facing an existential crisis because no one really believes in its integrity and credibility anymore. And that's why I I feel very much for uh, Sebastian Coe, who obviously was one of the masterminds of the games to which you refer, he is trying to reinvent track and field to a degree in his election campaign to uh, become the next president of the IAAF, the the global governing body. Um, So that means he's slipping around the world, 100 countries on his agenda, trying to convince people that they need to retailer the sport in in the next decade, two decades. He sees it almost as a an IPL on two legs, a a, a team sport with a moral framework and centrally contracted athletes. Now, he's speaking in terms of those athletes going going on shows like this, going on Good Morning America and being articulate, approachable role models for for a clean sport. But we are light years away from that at the moment. Um, Because of decisions like Nike's decision with Gatlin, which actually, you know, it is commercially driven he has been they dropped him once before after the second drug ban but it's no coincidence they've gone back to him because Usain Bolt uh, is seen as being vulnerable he is he just happens to be paid 40 million dollars by another sportswear firm Puma so Nike are making the calculated gamble, a very cold calculated gamble, that Gatlin in Rio next year will be able to take the the, the biggest crown 
in track and field, which is that sprint title. Are they also making the calculated gamble that people won't be too bothered at that point about his drugs past? And it goes back to what I mentioned at the start, Michael, in that they clearly... I mean, Nike have done this countless times before. Michael Vick, they dropped him uh, while he was jailed for his part in a dogfighting ring, and then they re-signed him. Uh, Tiger, they've they've stuck by. They seem to... They they presumably have quite a sophisticated decision-making policy to decide Lance Armstrong they were sticking by him right up until really it was impossible it became almost untenable to be associated toxic is the word it would have been used at the time to be associated with Lance Armstrong they seem to have made a made a punt here that uh, you know while there is a there is a lot of outrage around these decisions there certainly seems to be at the time they're made that that will probably blow over and it's going to be a positive for them to be associated with uh, with an athlete like Gatlin if he wins a gold medal Sadly, I think you're probably right that it will blow over, um, but I think it will recur. I think if when you when you have when the world sits down to to look at the Olympic Games next year, people like you and I will will remind them of the reality of this guy's situation. Um, they they will be a renewed debate about how someone of his relatively advanced age in athletic terms, he's 33, can keep producing this performance or this level of performance. There is some talk. Um, you know, he it is quite interesting. Gatlin seems unconcerned by headlines, but the one thing that does needle him is constant reference to a, a research study, a very credible research study done by uh, Oslo University where... Uh, they found um, by um, transplanting testosterone into mice that there was um, endure, an enduring uh, benefit uh, from steroidal use, not just for a year or two years, but for decades afterwards. So it is interesting. To answer your point about the public themselves, I, I do think you know we are becoming... Um, slightly Im- immune to to some of the outrages that we see, whether they be moral or commercial. Um, but I like to think at least some of us would keep the faith and and say, look, this is just not right. Yep. Listen, we'll leave it there. Michael Calvin of The Independent. Great stuff. Thanks a million. No worries, mate. I didn't realise, or I certainly have forgotten, Ken, that you went to see... Justin, yeah, Justin Gatlin finishing in third. third. Third behind uh, Bolt and Blake. Quite a long way behind Bolt. Uh, yeah, the, him and Blake were, were in almost neck and neck. I think Bolt was had managed to to, uh, to create a bit of distance between him and the field. It was one of the. It was a really impressive thing to see because I had a seat sort of in the second row of the press box, which is right down on track level. You know, so you see these guys thundering past, and that's literally what it was like. You, you, almost the uh, the sound of them kind of smashing past. Uh, was was one of the most impressive things about it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Justin Gatton, bloody good athlete. Looked hell of a mediocre sprinter that day, Owen, <laughs> which, is, which is the sad thing about being only the third best in the world behind someone like Bolt. The point that you raised there, just to go back on that, about, it, about Nike and essentially why is it that they are criticised for aligning themselves with Gatlin when Gatlin is now a legitimate athlete again, certainly in the eyes of the athletics world, in the eyes of the United States Olympic Association, they send him over and they, they'll be delighted for him to win a medal. I take that point, but what I would say is it's not so much 
an issue I would have that with Nike, you know, they're this massive worldwide corporation getting into bed with, with, with whatever athlete, athlete, if it was as simple as that. But it's the pompous message that they constantly sell of themselves about the purity of sport. And this whole uh, association with Lance Armstrong over the, year, over the years was another example of that. They set themselves out to be one thing, which what, they aren't. But what do they set themselves out to be? I mean, what's their slogan? Just do it. Just do what? I don't know. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not Phil Knight. Could be anything. Yeah. So it's just it's kind of it's kind of a vague. It's a Don't, meaningless well, message. It, it, it could would, be steroids. Yeah. It, what it kind of <laughs> suggests is don't think about anything too much. Just do it. Yeah, don't don't act. overanalyze anything. Act. Just they identify with themselves with the, with the principle of action in its in its vaguest and most abstract terms and can be applied to anything. It's not like it's not like a message which it's not like a manifesto. It doesn't there's no values in it other than, you know. There's act. no values in that, but in terms of marketing campaigns they've done and the Ch- charitable work that they have the associated time, themselves with. Yeah. They do like to put themselves across as a, as a holier-than-thou organisation. Mm. I mean, I think uh, in the earlier iteration of Nike, when they were much more of an upstart, they did kind of like... They, they did uh, align themselves from time to time with more troubled athletes, guys who were a bit edgier for whatever reason. And now I think that they decided that, was, that wasn't great business. They were probably cheaper, cheaper at that stage. That's and that's exactly it. But I mean, when you're the market leader, it's kind of a different. It very quickly becomes a a, a different thing. Yep. All right, we're pretty much done for this show. Do have a listen to the football podcast. A lot of Raheem Sterling chat in that one with Richie Sadler. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you, too. Thanks for meeting, Kieran. You've been great, Ken, and you too, Owen. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.